today. Am I on? There we go. Helps when you push the button. Welcome, welcome to Vertical Life Church. Before we get into the message today, we have a special guest here. I believe is the first time. Is that right, Brody? Say the first time. You want to stand and introduce your special guest? This is when all the ladies get to go, aww. Go ahead. Who, who do we got here, Brody? How many, uh, how many pounds? How many ounces? Seven pounds for all the fingers and toes in place. Awesome. Great. All right. Let's give it up. So excited. Hey, if our church is going to grow, we'll take it any way we can, okay? You know, we'll fill our kids' ministry. That's right. So welcome. We're starting a new teaching series today. Uh, This is something I'm really excited for because my entire ministry experience really has revolved around the concept or the idea of worship. I started off leading worship when I was uh, a young child around the age of fifth grade, around fifth grade or so, and uh, it became part of my church experience. I I played in different bands and and had opportunities to do different things with music that all centered around worship, whether it was playing at camps or conferences or, or concerts. And so this idea of worship has always been a big deal to me. I remember Uh, The first time I heard a contemporary worship song, Uh, I grew up in a more of a traditional church, and we sang a lot of the hymns, a lot of the old songs. I remember the first time a friend of mine at school introduced me to passion worship. Uh, Anybody know who Chris Tomlin is? Dave Crowder, if you listen to Christian radio at all, these are popular names. Well, when they were new on the scene, they began a movement called Passion, and that changed my life, changed how I thought about music in the church. And one of the first times I remember feeling the presence of God was in a worship service, leading worship. And so worship has always just kind of grabbed me. And I, I thought when I was a young child that God was going to use me in worship ministry, that that was going to be my life, that I was going to be a, a worship leader or a rock star for Jesus. It didn't, didn't really work out that way, but I'm still a part of worship. It's still a part of what we do. I met my wife at a, a music competition in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I was living in Missouri at the time. She was here in Michigan. I had no idea we were going to meet, but through music and our heart for worship in the Lord, God brought us together. So worship has been the foundation of our lives, of our, of our ministry together. And so we're going to get into this series called Open Heavens, where we're going to talk about worship, not just why worship, why do we worship, or how we should worship, or, or the importance of worship, but we're going to kind of peel back a mystery that, that is happening. You know, we've heard the phrase, God works in mysterious what? Ways, right? This is very, very familiar. God works in mysterious ways. But, but the thing is, is that I don't think God thinks he works in mysterious ways. I mean, if you think about it like this, the only reason why God's ways are mysterious is because we are finite people. We're finite creatures that don't like understand infinite reality. 
right? We're still trying to figure out how the world was made. God did that in six days, right? He's beyond that concept now. So in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's not up in heaven saying, hey, hey, Jesus, hey, Holy Spirit, watch this. Kaboosh! Mysterious. You know, he's, he's not doing that. He doesn't think he works in mysterious ways. They, everything he does makes sense to him. Everything he does. But it's to us that these mysteries happen. And I think the mysteries, especially those that we find in Scripture, are a beautiful construct of God's reality, his creation. Because what a mystery does is it forces us to have to dig in deeper. It forces us to have to lean in a little closer to kind of kind of discover maybe what God was doing. Paul in Ephesians 5 tells us that there's a mystery by the way Jesus and the church reflect the marriage between a husband and a wife. There's a mystery there, and there's a deep truth that we can discover if we lean in, if we study, if we seek. And so one of the mysteries of God we're going to look at for this series is worship. Because worship is a mystery. There's a mystery behind it. Have you ever really sat down and thought to yourself, why, oh why, do we gather together on Sundays for worship? Why do we do that? And we can come up with like rational reasons like, well, God is good and, and Jesus died on the cross and Christians have been doing this for year after year. For thousands of years, Christians have been doing this, gathering together. But you have you ever really discovered or sought to discover why that is. Why do we get together to worship the Lord? Why do we get together to sing together, to pray together, to serve one another in love? I mean, what's the point of the gathering? Why do we do it? Is it just what Christians do or is there something deeper at work, a mystery, if you will, behind why we do what we do? And we hint at this mystery, there is a mystery, and we hint at it by the way we actually talk about this gathering. This is another like common phrase. People will say, like as they're planning their weekend, on Sunday, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to church. And there's been kind of this shift in our language in the church in recent years to try to get this concept, this idea, away from the church being the building because we drive by and we go down the street and we see such and such Baptist church, such and such Methodist church, or St. Charles and Helena Catholic church. We see all these churches and our mind says that's the church. But the Bible doesn't say a building is the church. I mean, Jesus didn't give his life so that we can make him a billionaire in real estate. Right? That, that's not why Jesus came. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, upon this rock, the statement that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, this rock will I build my church, ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This word church means the gathering. It's the people. So the church isn't the building. The church is the people. And in our culture, in Christendom, you can see this a lot in teaching, because we're trying to break away from a lot of these religious norms, these religious kind of uh, thinking that's led people into bondage, thinking that, that everything had to revolve around a church building, there's been this shift in how we talk about going to church rather than the place we meet, but that actually we are, as the people of God, the church. But there is something mysterious, not just about the people of God, but about where the people of God gather for worship. 
There's a mystery about where the people gather for worship. To set this up, we have to look at the context for this subject to really wrap our minds around this idea. But there's another phrase that we use often as we refer to going to church. When we get to the building where we're going to worship at, the location, we often call it the house of what? God. You know, we've come to the house of God. We use this phrase, and this term house of God is in the Bible. It's in the scripture. And there's something mysterious about this term, especially as it relates to worship. And when we wrap our minds around what is the house of God, it should shift or change the way you view the gathering of worship. It should change or it should shift the way you view Sunday morning worship time, gathering together with the church. It should change the way you ready your heart before you gather in this place. It should change how we engage when we come together. I always appreciated my, my grandparents. I'd, sometimes I'm, as a kid, you kind of think what your parents or your grandparents do can be a little annoying. But every time we stayed at my grandparents' house, and it was over a Saturday night to a Sunday, before we left for church, my grandma and my grandfather my grandma and granddad, they would kneel down at their couch and we would pray before we left for church every time. It didn't fail. That was just what they did. And they did it to prepare their heart to receive from God, prepare their heart to hear, to be touched, to be changed, to learn something new. And I think oftentimes we take this gathering for granted and don't often enough prepare ourselves for what God has in store for us. But what we're gonna look at today should radically change your concept of this gathering and how you prepare even your heart to come into this place. But before we kind of get into the ins and outs of worship, purpose, how to, we need to have an understanding of the importance of what is the house of God. So we're gonna get into the scriptures. The first mention of the house of God is in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, the verses will be on the screen. It should also be included on the YouVersion Bible app for you. But this is the first mention of the house of God. And it's important to look at the first mention of any subject in the Bible because that will give context for everything that we're talking about. The first mention of something in Scripture will give you context for every other time it appears in the Bible. And so in Genesis chapter 28, here we're beginning to look at this guy named Jacob. He had just swindled his brother out of his birthright, was in fear for his life, had just taken off, and now uh, he'd sent his servants away as they're waiting word back to see whether Jacob's going to be able to uh, rekindle his relationship with his brother. In verse 28, beginning in verse 10, here's what it says. It says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran, at the sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, and the ground that you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. 
What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until you have fin- I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The house of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. And we ask you, Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and open our minds. Lord, you're wanting and desiring to encounter us in this place, to change us. God, I pray right now for each one right now would just be covered by the Holy Spirit. God, that you'd even now be ministering, that you'd breaking the scales from our eyes and opening our hearts to the very word and the very truth that you have for us today. God, may we not leave here the same as when we walked in. I just pray this, Lord, that your words would go forth. You would touch us. You would raise up hope and faith. And God, we would take a step closer to who you created us to be before the foundation of the world. This we pray in the name of Jesus. And we agree together by saying, amen. So here it is, the first mention of the house of God. And since this is the first mention, we pay particular attention to it because it's going to give us some descriptors, descriptions of what the house of God really is. So the first thing that I want to pay attention to, the first thing that I think is important is the first thing he saw was he saw the heavens opened. Number one, he saw the heavens opened, and he saw a stairway or a path to meet with God. So as we're looking at this, the first question I have for you, and this is participation time, okay? The first question I have for you is, did Jacob see this stairway with his own eyes? Everybody at once. Did he see it? No, he didn't. Where did he see this vision? In a dream, right? You see, this was a different time, a different place, and a different culture. And often, we read stories in the Bible, we see what happens, and we think, oh, that was for a different time. But we serve a God, the Word says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what God brought to light is bringing to light what I think he wants to communicate to us, especially as we're looking at the house of God and in this dream, is this, that many of us wait to perceive what only that we can perceive in the Spirit with our own eyes. We wait to perceive with our eyes what can only be perceived or seen in the Spirit. And we wait on that perception in the physical reality before we're willing to engage with or respond to God. We wait to perceive with our physical eyes what can only be seen with the Spirit before we're willing to engage with or respond to God. But Jacob didn't see this with flesh. He saw it in the Spirit. He saw it in a dream. And God, though he can come into the natural, right? He parted the Red Sea. There are many miracles that he's done that we've seen. I've seen God heal people from sickness. God can show up in the natural, but often he communicates in the supernatural, in the spirit. Why? Because it requires faith to receive what he said and then take action on it. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
God's not going to make everything so easy that it doesn't take any faith to act on it because faith is what leans us and draws us closer to his heart. So he gives Jacob a dream. He gives him a dream of open heavens. In John chapter 4, 24, Jesus said this about worship. He said, the day is coming where those who want to worship God must worship God in spirit and what? Truth. In spirit and truth. That word spirit is not flesh. That word spirit is your innermost being. Your mind, your will, your emotions, your heart. It's the center of who you are. If you want to come to God, you want to give God the true worship he deserves, it's born from spirit. And many of us sit back and wait in a worship gathering for for something to evoke a physical response when God is saying, no, you lead spirit first. You lead heart first. And then you can see. Then you can encounter what we have prepared for you today. The word spirit, again, refers to your innermost being. And we will not perceive the house of God until we've engaged the only way we can see it, and that is with our spirit. So the first thing we see is open heavens. It's a spiritual reality. Two, there was angelic activity. You saw angels moving up and down this stairway. And often, angelic activity refers to the power of God or is often connected with the miraculous. In Psalm 103, the Bible tells us that angels are God's ministering spirits that go about to do His will. When you look in the Bible and you see every time an angel uh, makes an appearance, there's some kind of supernatural occurrence that happens. Something miraculous happens. Either an army gets slaughtered with unbeatable odds, or somebody gets healed and raised from the dead. Angel, angels appear and do the will of God. So there is the open heavens. We see angelic activity. Number three, God's presence was there. Jacob sees God. He sees him at the top of the stairway. So the presence of God is there. Number four, we see God spoke. There's revelation. There's revelation. God communicated. He was in... in, in uh, He was communicating, he was teaching, he was revealing promises. He was giving a word directly from himself to Jacob. And then number five, the results of the house of God is there are life-changing encounters. If you continue to read uh, after verse 17 in this passage of Scripture, you'll see that Jacob was so marked by this experience that he sets up a pillar, a monument in honor of this experience. It so radically changed him. Uh, he even named that place Bethel after this term, the house of God. You see, in the house of God, we should always walk away changed. If we truly have an encounter with God, if we enter his house, then we should always walk away changed. There's life-changing encounters prepared. And it's my belief that God wants to draw us close into his house to imprint upon us an experience that will so radically change us, that will mark us deep in the spirit, that we cannot help but be different. That we cannot help but then change the world around us through the power of his Holy Spirit. So it's important that we see that the house is this spiritual reality, but also something interesting. Jacob says that it's a gateway. It's a gateway. So this house is a gateway, and a gateway is, is an opening. It's a doorway for you to go from one place to another. The house is a gateway, the very gateway to the presence of God. The house of God is where heaven and earth intersect. 
It's that meeting place where heaven and earth intersect. They come together. And reality has the ability to interact with supernatural reality. The place where the house of God was revealed is a place called Bethel. From this time on, Jacob, over the span of 400 years, we wouldn't really hear much about the house of God until the time of Moses and the nation of Israel would show up again. And in the time of Moses, the house of God changes. We see it changed from a location or a place that, that Jacob identified as Bethel in the Old Testament to now it changes from a place to a pavilion or a tent, a tabernacle. When Moses had led the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, and they had this encounter with God at Mount Sinai, God instructed Moses to build a tent called the tabernacle, and there were certain things that were to be included inside, one of which was called the Ark of the Covenant. And so we're going to see how the house of God changes from a place to this pavilion, this place that housed the the Ark of God. In Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 through 22. Here's what God says to Moses and his instructions. And we can see this progression of how, over the course of time, the house of God begins to change. Exodus 25, verse 17 says, Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement, from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they will protect it. Place the ark inside with the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for all of Israel. So God tells Moses how to construct this tabernacle, this tent, this place that was also called the tent of meeting. And inside was this ark of the covenant. And here in the description of the ark of the covenant, we see the very characteristics of the house of God. The first thing we see is that the heavens would open above the ark. God says, I will come and I will meet with you above the top of the ark. The veil between heaven and earth would be removed and God's physical presence manifested right there in front of Moses or the high priest. We also see angelic activity. There were cherubim that were placed atop of the ark, and the golden cherubim reflected the physical cherubim that were in the actual abode of God in heaven. There was this angelic presence. Number three, the presence of God was there. He was going to show up. We can read and see how he showed up in the flame of fire, in the smoke. His physical presence was revealed. Number four, God spoke. He said, I will meet with you and I will speak. I will give revelation. I will give instruction. And you know, every time somebody had an encounter with God in the holy place, the holy of holies, their life was dramatically different. It said that Moses often would leave the tent and his face would be glowing because of the encounter with the glory of God. It is also said that if you walked into the presence of God with sin in your life, you'd be dead instantly. Your life was dramatically changed. People would have radical encounters, visions, dreams with God. In reference to the tabernacle and the temple, 
as the house of God. From this point on, we can see all through the Bible, the, the tabernacle and temple referred to as the house of God or the house of the Lord. In Psalm 84, verse 10, the psalmist in worship says, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be the gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. In Psalm 63, verse 2, David says, I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your glory and power. When they thought of the house of God, this is where they thought of, not Bethel, which was a place, to now the tabernacle which followed them, where they followed around the desert, to the temple when God finally rested in the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. This term, house of the Lord, again, is repeated all throughout the Old Testament, through the Torah, the Psalms, and until we get to the New Testament. So what happened to Jacob, it was a foreshadow of things to come. It became a reality where, where God would show up in the life of the nation of Israel. God would dwell with his people, literally bringing heaven to earth. This is the house of God. It's the place of intersection. And in the story of Jacob, Jacob didn't even know he was entering the house of God, but God revealed the house to Jacob. He knew that that place was, was um, unique, it was specific, but when God shows up in the life of Israel with the tabernacle and the temple, now Israel has to go to uh, the, temp, the tent or the tent of meeting in order to encounter the presence of God. Everywhere God told them to take that tent, that's where they would have to go to meet with the Lord. But that's not where the story ends because the house of the Lord over the nation of Israel's history changes again. It goes from a place to a pavilion to then a person. See, Jesus in the New Testament, in the process of, of calling his disciples to follow him, as he's recruiting Nathaniel, he gives Nathaniel a word of knowledge, tells Nathaniel something about himself that other than being God, he would have no way of really knowing. In John chapter 1, verse 50 through 51, let's look at what this passage says about Jesus. It says, Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I've seen you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Remember Jacob's dream? Open heavens, stairway, angels going up and down, right? And then think about what Jesus is, who Jesus is. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the presence of God, especially as the Spirit of God has rested in him in fullness. Jesus is the Word of God. Everything God has spoken is, is revealed in Christ Jesus and has come from Jesus. And Jesus had a way, if you read the New Testament, he had a way of making supernatural things happen. Remember that, that day he took you know, sack lunch and fed the multitudes? Or whenever he told his... Uh, his disciples, he was too good for their boat, and he walked on the water himself. You remember that, that story? You, you know, he had a way of doing some crazy supernatural things, right? There was angelic activity. There was powerful things that follow Jesus wherever he goes. And here Jesus says, I'm the stairway between heaven and earth. Remember, the house of God was also a gateway. The house of God was also a gateway. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the what? I am the, the way. 
the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through who? Me. So Jesus shows up now. The fullness of the Spirit is in him. He's that angelic activity working all around him. He is the Word of God. He is the presence of God. And now he is the gateway to God. He is the place of intersection between heaven and earth. He is the house of God. He is the pathway to the presence. So as we look at the house of God, you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with worship? What does this have to do with worship? What does Jesus being the house of God or this have to do with the gathering of believers for worship? You see, we need to grasp this understanding because since the ascension of Jesus into heaven, since he raised from the dead and he went back to heaven after his resurrection, the house of God changed again. It went from a pavilion or a place to a pavilion to a person And now it is a people. The house of God is a people. When it comes to placing our faith and trust in Christ, when you become saved, you become a child of God, you give God your heart, you repent of your sins, and you turn to Christ through faith, you get placed into the people of God, the church. And the Bible says some very specific things about this peculiar people. Paul says we're not only the assembly of God, the people of God, but in Romans 12, 4, and 5, here's what Paul says. He says, Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. The people of God are not just people who believe the same or who, you know, go to the same church on Sunday. The people of God are the body of of Christ. Each of us make up a part. We are the representatives of Jesus here on the earth. When he left, he left us here to continue his work, and he passed the mantle of ministry onto the church to continue what he started. And 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So God was in Christ as the living, breathing house of God, reconciling the world to himself. When the world wasn't looking for God or or trying to approach God, God intervened. He came in to uh, encounter man, to provide us a way for salvation. God was working through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. Now, as Jesus is in heaven, he's working through us, the church, to empower us through the Holy Spirit with the message of Christ to continue the work that he started. The church now has become the gateway for we have become the house of God. Paul in Romans said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can anyone hear unless there's a preacher and how can someone preach unless they be sent? That we are the doorway. We are the intermediary between the lost world and the heavenly abode. We are the gateway that provides people the opportunity to be reconciled to the Father and have access to the very presence of God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul tells the church of Corinth, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God lives in you? Remember the temple in the Old Testament and the tabernacle was referred to the house of God. That's where the presence of God could be found. Now the presence of God is found in the church, the people of God. 
The house of God is no longer a place, a pavilion, or one person. It is now a gathering of people, those who have been saved, who are in Christ, in Christ alone. The ones who carry the message of the gospel, who carry the presence of God with them wherever they go. We are the gateway. People don't have to go to a tent in the Middle East in the nation of Israel to encounter God. Now God has sent his presence into the world to encounter people. So think about the characteristics for the house of God. Think about those five things. And now let's look at how it pertains to the church itself. When you trust in Christ, you give him your heart, you have a life-changing encounter. You have a life-changing encounter. The Bible says you become a new creation. The old is gone. Isn't it so amazing that through Christ, the old is gone to be forgiven of your sins? I don't know about you, but I've done some pretty messed up stuff. There's some things in my closet I want to get rid of. And when Jesus came into my life, when I gave that to him, guess what? It's gone. So the Bible says that he has thrown your sin, all your mistakes, into the sea of forgetfulness. God doesn't even know it's there. He's chosen to overlook it. The blood of Christ is so sufficient that it washes away all sin. You become the righteousness of God when you trust in Jesus. How amazing is that? And not just from what you did in the past, but it covers you for all time. Everything that is written about your life is under the blood of Jesus. All glory and praise to the one who has created heaven and earth. Such a powerful thing. When you wake up to the reality of who you are in Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and anoints you for power and ministry, you have a life-changing encounter. Number two says about the church is that we encounter God's voice. How do we hear God's voice? Well, we hear it spiritually, through personal revelation, through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. God can speak to your heart. The Spirit can uh, speak to your heart and mind about things in your day-to-day life. We also see uh, God's voice through divine revelation through the Scripture. God speaks in His Word. This is called the Word for a reason. His Word is contained, but the Word is alive and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. This isn't a dead and dusty book. This is the way of life. This is the foundation of our faith. Every time you open the pages of the Bible, you receive the word of God that has the power to transform your life. God speaks. He's not silent. Number three is you have miracles and angelic activity that follow the church. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. If you remember the story of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is first poured out and the church is born, we see a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire filling that room. And in um, Psalm chapter 104, God uh, connects the angels with wind and with fire. When the presence of the Spirit is poured out, the angels of glory are upon them to pour out and anoint the disciples for ministry. And we see angelic activity all around. There is angelic activity that is involved whenever we pray for healing and someone is healed. God's messengers leave heaven to work on the church's behalf. They're God's ministering spirits. So we have miracles and angelic activity. Number four is we have God's presence. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am what? Among them. Whenever two or three of my followers gather in my name, Here's my presence. And number five, 
we have open heavens, which means we have direct access to God. Hebrews 10.19 says, So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And the tabernacle and the temple between where God's presence was and the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, there was a great veil. And it separated God and man. And only one person, one time a year, was allowed into that place to offer sacrifices for the people. But when Jesus died, shed his blood, that veil was torn. And God's presence now dwells in his people. There's no separation. We no longer have to go look for his presence. His presence is in here if you're in Christ and you're a new creation. And I heard a, a podcast this past week, and a, a guy was, uh, he's a politician. I think he was in um, Minnesota. He was in their state legislature. He's a believer. And the guy was asking him about his life and his ministry. And he was giving an example. He said, you know, when my children come into my office, they get in my chair. They play with all my stuff. Like, they don't even ask. They just start making a mess in my space. And because when they come in there, I'm just dad. I'm just dad. But when anyone else comes in that place, they ask permission before they enter. They wait till I speak. And they give me the respect I deserve. It's like, if you think about your relationship with God, is when you are God's child, you have the right to walk into his room, climb on his lap, mess with his stuff, and he smiles and says, I love you. But anyone else is kept at a distance. Such an honor and a privilege to be the child of God. We don't understand how crazy God is about us. We are the house of God. And there are open heavens. There is instant access. There's no separation between us and the Lord anymore. But the reality of the house of God is that it cannot, we cannot perceive in the natural what can only be perceived in the supernatural. We, if we're waiting to perceive in the natural the realities of heaven, we're going to be waiting a long time. It takes the spirit connection. It takes a hard connection to perceive in the supernatural. And because it often takes a shock like a miracle, like somebody being healed or, or some supernatural event to open our eyes to the reality of what's happening around us, many of us don't have the life-changing encounter in the house of God that we could have week after week when we gather. Many of us do not hear the voice of God. Many do not release the power of God to minister to others in, by faith. Why? Because there's no holy fear and awe. There's no reverence. There's no preparation of the heart. There's no understanding of the encounter we're about to experience when we gather together. We just show up. We go through the motions because that's the Christian thing to do. But I want to read to you a final passage of Scripture about what the Word of God says of the reality that's happening all around us, even now, in this moment, in this room, when the church gathers together. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Why should we do that? Why should we strip off every weight? Because when sin is in our lives, it brings a barrier between us and God. 
In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says when we don't have godly relationships, we're not loving well, we're not loving our spouse well, or we, Jesus even said, if we have a problem with somebody else, leave our gift at the altar, go be reconciled, and then come and offer your gift. When there is sin in our lives, there is a separation, there is a, a hindrance, and it's not that God doesn't hear our prayers. It's that our agreement to sin provides the enemy power and authority to work and operate, and he hinders the work God wants to do. So even before we get into the worship gathering, let us, because we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, let us strip off every weight that slows us down and every sin that so easily trips us up. Let us come with a repentant heart, recognizing who it is we're about to stand before. Verse 18, it continues, and he says, you, talking about the gathering, you've not come to a physical mountain, not a physical place, not a physical reality like the nation of Israel did back on Mount Sinai. It says, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under the command, even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you, the church, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heavens who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. There is something significant happening when the church gathers. This letter, this message was written to believers who are gathering in Jerusalem, but it wasn't about a city. It was about a spiritual reality of what transpires when the church gathers together. We may gather in a city. We may gather in a building. We may gather in a physical place, but that physical place is transformed into a heavenly city, a place where the heavens are opened to a joyful gathering, in verse 23, it says, this is the assembly of believers, God's firstborn children. All whose names are written in the book of life. If you're in Christ, your name is in the book of life. When you gather together, the church becomes the house of God. We become the gateway between heaven and earth. This is why Jesus said, when you pray, pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we become the house of God. We become the meeting place. The place where we stand and we sit right now is holy ground. Why? Because the Lord is in this place. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. This is why God answers when two or more are gathered in his name. It's because the heavens are open. And the power and presence of God is released. This is so important to understand because just as Jacob didn't realize that God is in that place, he didn't realize what was happening all around him until his eyes were opened, many of us gather week after week after week not realizing what's happening all around us. And we don't realize it because we're too busy looking with our physical eyes and not feeling and sentient and seeing with our spiritual eyes. The longings of our heart, the very encounters we long to have with God, the miracles we've been praying for are absent because our hearts have been so disconnected. 
We put walls in our heart, closing our spiritual eyes to the reality of his presence. We walk in sin that hinders our prayers and distances our hearts from God. We close our ears to his voice for fear of what he might ask us to do. And then we gauge our experience at church based on whether the speaker or the song can invoke an emotional response, not whether or not we've met with God. This is why the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12.25, closes his statement with this. He says, be careful you don't refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that unshakable things will remain. Since receiving, we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by what? Worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a devouring fire. Church, God is speaking. Are you listening? The angels are worshiping. Are you joining in? The power is being released. Are you receiving it? How is he speaking? He's speaking through our songs. He's speaking through our prayers. He's speaking to your heart. And he's speaking to mine. He has a specific word for you, for your life. And he has a word for you to give someone else, to encourage them in their faith journey. The Spirit of God is saying here in Hebrews chapter 12, don't miss it. Be careful not to miss it. Don't miss what's being said to you. And don't miss what God wants you to say to someone else. Don't miss who God wants you to pray for. Don't miss how God wants to release his power in your life. Don't miss it. How do we do that? How do we stay connected? How do we stay keyed in to the house of God, the presence of God? How do we peel back the veil between heaven and earth so that the glory of God can be manifest within us? How do we stay engaged and lean into what God is doing? Verse 28, he says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him. Worship is meant to engage your spirit as we worship in spirit and truth to the reality of heaven. It's not singing a song. You can do that in the shower. This is worshiping the creator of heaven and earth. This is letting what God has done inside of you overflow so that the glory of God and the Spirit of God can create an existence or an overflow of living water to bubble up and burst out so that God's power can move through you so that through you, you can touch other people. As we worship God with holy fear and awe, we recognize our sinfulness and how awesome God is, but we also recognize his love for us and how amazing it is to be forgiven and set free. We get excited about the presence of God. We get more excited about who wins our state versus Michigan game than we do about the reality that our sins are forgiven and we bear them no more. The glory of God wants to be unleashed in this place. Don't close your heart to his voice thinking that nothing applies to you in the message or that this, this song isn't your jam or, or you're just waiting to get to lunch. Don't close your heart off. Lean in. Press in. 
Continue to desperately call out to God. When the altars are open, flood it with prayer. Pay attention to how you feel as God is leading you. Don't shrink back. Press in in the moment. It's okay to get excited about God. That's one thing we should get excited about. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul gives an admonition to the church. He says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Another translation says, don't quench the fire of God. That means don't stifle it in your life and don't stifle it in somebody else's life. The Holy Spirit wants to move in you. He wants to move through you. And worship is the gateway to lean your heart in, to help teach you to sense his presence, to engage and flow with the Holy Spirit. Some of you today are depressed, you're down, and what you need is a touch from God. You need to encounter his presence. And how do you do that? Well, you enter the house of God. You enter his presence. You listen for his voice. You receive his touch. You obey his commands. You rejoice with the angels. And you yield yourself wholly to him. In this series, we're going to cover not just why it's important to worship, but even some things you can do to change what you've been doing, to help you encounter God, to shake you out of your routines and your comfort zones that maybe have been in the way, have caused you to miss out on some encounters with the Lord, to overcome insecurity and fear. As a church together, we've been praying about becoming hungrier for his presence, become hungrier and more aware of the reality of his presence, that the spirit of God would flow through us, that we would see people touched, healed, and saved, that this place would begin to fill up because of the move of God in this place. And my heart is that we would capture this, this longing and desire from Psalm 27, verse 4. David pens this, and this has been a prayer from my heart. We just went through a, a season of fasting together as a church for this very thing. And here's what David writes. He says, this one thing I asked the Lord. This one thing I seek the most over any other thing, a man that had everything he could ever want, he seeks this most, which is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. This drove David crazy, this longing to be in the presence of God. In his time, this was impossible. He was not the high priest and there was a veil. But Jesus came so that it was possible for you how bad do you want it? How bad? How much God do you want in your life? How much do you want to be radically changed? How much do you want to experience what you were truly created for? God created us for relationship with him. We're only fulfilled when we're fulfilled by him. How bad do you want it? And what are you willing to go for or go through to get to it? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place. As we go into a time of worship, and a time of response. Every time we close the service out, we open the altar for response, not just so people can repent of sin and, and come forward and confess their sins to God, but so that the church even has the opportunity to respond to what God is speaking to them. I believe every Sunday, every time we meet, God speaks. The question is, is do we listen? Do we listen? Are we going to listen to what God is saying? Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. There's never been a time in your life where you ask God to forgive you of your sins. 
and where you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. God said in his word, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Sin leads to death, not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. There are only two places you can go in eternity, heaven or hell. There's no in between. And Jesus came and endured the horrors of the cross so that you could be forgiven and set free and you could be set on high as a child of God and seated at the right hand of the Father, that God's love could overwhelm you, hope could fill your heart, that you could have the power to overcome any struggle, any situation because of God's presence in you and through you. God came, Jesus came to lead you to an abundant life. And this is what he has for everyone who will call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want to have a life-changing encounter, the first choice you have to make is to say yes to Jesus. You have to say yes. It's not hard. It's simple. But sometimes it's a tough decision to make. The Bible says, if you want to come to God, you must believe he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The first step to the house of God is through the gateway of Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around in the quietness of this moment, if you're here today and you know that you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. If you were to die today, you have no idea where you're going to go, but you'd really like to know how you could go to heaven. Would you just slip your hand up so I could pray for you? I will not call you out. I will not embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Anyone here? Anyone at all? Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Awesome. Maybe you're here today and fear, fear has been in the way of you engaging your heart. And you need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit today. You need to renew a new confidence in God. Maybe you're here today and you need a healing whether it's of your heart and your emotions or in your body. For the next little while, as the music plays and we sing together, let's engage our hearts. And whatever you need, you come forward. Maybe you just want to come forward and worship the Lord. Maybe you're tired of same old, same old church and you want to experience God and you want to step out and do something new. When we sing, you come forward and lay yourself down. Bow before the Lord. Kneel in his presence. Seek his face. Maybe God's done something in your life that you want to give testimony for. There's a microphone down here. You can give God a shout of praise. We can praise the Lord with you. But this is ministry time. To receive and to give. Father, I just thank you for your church. God, I thank you that the heavens are open. And the angels are joining us in a joyful gathering. Father, I thank you for being here. Jesus, I thank you for being among us. Spirit, I thank you for moving. God, we ask you now, let healing power overflow. God, let your presence be poured out. God, let the prophetic word be spoken. 
God, right now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, whatever you're speaking, Lord, I pray you'd give us the faith to respond. In the name of Jesus, we pray.